Welcome to EMG Transformations with Dan Stoll. Each episode will empower you to ignite your inner fire and provide methods to maximize your mental and physical performance. Buckle up and get ready to spark your transformation with Nova Fusion. Welcome to EMG Transformations. Today I have the honor to bring on Brandon Burns. I saw this guy on Instagram doing backflip after backflip, wearing some U of M apparel, and doing motivational speaking on mindset and discipline in the background. I immediately knew I had to connect with him, and here we are after a few audio messages later. Brandon is an elite athlete, speaker, and performance coach. He's a two-time Big Ten championship winning coach, a co-creator of a seven-figure software product, and is the right-hand man to the legend ET, Dr. Eric Thomas. He's an absolute powerhouse in his own right, as one of the world's best speakers and coaches. He works with athletes, entrepreneurs, and students from across the world to help them reach their full potential. Buckle up, because today you're getting a front row seat to The Brandon Burns Show. I'm extremely excited and honored to host this conversation. Thank you for taking time to come on the podcast today. Man, thank you, thank you, thank you. I like how you slid in the uh, the U of M apparel too. You see, you thought you were slick using the MSU Zoom link. I saw it though, <laughs> I saw it. I said, we gotta talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I mean, I just graduated last year and. I'm going to continue to get that free Zoom as long as I can. So. <laughs> hey, I, I you know what's funny, man? I still use my my U of M email as my main personal inbox. So, no, okay. ride that wave as long as you can, especially the yeah. association with the school, right? Like people think you're you're only a little bit cool. And then you talk about, oh, I went to U of M or I went to MSU. And now immediately like half the country is either they're going to love you or they're going to hate you. But you've got a lot of people on your side just from that association. So no, rock with it as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. And I actually have a U of M association because that's where I had two major surgeries. So even though I'm a state alumni, like I have that connection there and it's always a little bit of home for me. Oh man, that's awesome. I unfortunately had a surgery at the U of M hospital too. So uh, yeah. I know, I know those hallways well. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So to start things off, can you kind of fill us in on your backstory and who is Brandon? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, it all started in a small town named Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, 25 years ago. And I was born and raised in that small town, relatively, I would say uneventful in a good way, childhood, you know, and, and there were some things that were happening that I didn't realize were different or abnormal until a little bit later on when I got the full context and I saw how other people lived. But we didn't come from a whole lot, you know, about a thousand square foot house um, in that small town. And but two parents that loved me, you know, always had food, always had the roof over our heads. And there were some some trying times for sure, but nothing that we couldn't handle. And then at the age of 10 years old, I started the sport of gymnastics. Still to this day, have no reason, uh, no understanding of why I started the sport. It was just one of those things where I looked up one day and said, I really want to do this. And I don't remember seeing it on TV anywhere. My, my parents or anybody in my family never did the sport. But for whatever reason, I just said, this is what I want to do. 
around that same time, you know, eight, nine, 10 years old, I started homeschooling. So I was homeschooled from third grade all the way through high school graduation, which was a little bit of a shock going from that to University of Michigan, where uh, we had about 60,000 people on campus. And uh, from there, you know, walked on to the University of Michigan men's gymnastics team, cut from the team, unfortunately, four times in five years. Throughout the process, ended up meeting uh, Dr. Eric Thomas, like you mentioned, the legendary motivational speaker, built a relationship with him, uh, ended up becoming an intern. And then from there, kind of the the booking agent, right-hand man situation. And uh, that's, that kind of launched my own career as well. So it's it's been an incredible journey from start to finish. And it would take probably seven episodes of the podcast to go all the way through it in detail. But that's that's the cliff note version. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And uh, something that I didn't know about you, because I did my preparation for this, and I didn't know that you were homeschooled for that long. And I've heard that you've talked about the social anxiety. But I mean, man, taking that from like third grade to graduation, and then going to a major university, how did you adjust? And where did you get that like social confidence to speak and be who you are today? Oh man, I didn't for a long time. <laughs> the The true answer is I didn't have that confidence for a really long time. And I think a little bit of it came down to why I was homeschooled as well. Um, I started homeschooling because we just didn't have the money for it. So I was attending a private Catholic school from first and second grade. So kindergarten was its own little situation. And then I went to this private Catholic school for first and second grade. Um, I, my family is not Catholic though. We were raised Episcopalian. So we're still Christians. And, and I, I truly, truly, truly bottom of my heart, don't care about the whole denomination thing. I think the whole thing is, is, is overblown. Um, so we really didn't care. We just, that was the best school that, you know, we could find. And that was where I went for first and second grade, but because we weren't Catholic, they were actually raising the prices on anybody who was not Catholic and went to that particular church that was also associated with the school, which I don't know how that doesn't count as, you know, discrimination of some sort, but for whatever reason, I guess private school, they can do what they want to do. And so the fees just kept going higher and higher and higher around that same time was when my dad was laid off from his job. Um, so we, we fell on some financial hard times and we just couldn't afford it anymore. The public school that we were zoned for was literally across the street from one of the state prisons. It, I've never seen anything like it. It's like a county road going through a bunch of wheat fields. On one side of the field is the school system. On the other side of the field is the prison system. And so we went and we walked around the school. We toured it. And my mom said, I'm not doing it. There's no way. We'll figure it out. So we knew we couldn't pay for the private school. We knew that we didn't want to go to the public school. So she said, we're going to figure this thing out. And keep in mind, this was in, I mean what, 2007-ish, something like that, 06, 07. So this is way before the boom of homeschooling now. Now it's way more common, especially for athletes, because it gives you a lot of that time back. Um, but back then it was really, really rare to see anybody homeschooling. Um, and people assumed that it was that. It's like, oh, you're an athlete, you're training all the time, surely you're doing this for, for sports. And as a kid, I would almost play it off, be like, yeah, you know, I need more time in the gym. And I'm like, you know, 10 years old, barely learning how to do a backflip. I'm not that good yet, but I didn't want to, you know, I was insecure about not having any money to go to the the nice school. So 
anyway, I think a lot of that played a part of not really being socially adept as I probably should have been at that age because I was a little bit insecure of that whole situation, right? Um, but fast forward and then walking onto the team at uh, University of Michigan, you know, up until that point, my only real social experiences were with the gymnastics team because, of course, you're training four or five hours a day every day uh, when you're in high school. And so my teammates, I knew them really well, but outside of the gym, I had no friends. And I think I've always been a little bit of a loner, so it didn't bother me as much as it may have bothered other kids. It, it didn't really get to me because I enjoyed being alone. I enjoyed spending time being quiet, thinking, reading, like that just didn't bother me. But when I got to the college environment, everything was different because most other people were used to the social aspect. And I think most other people had leaned on the social aspect of life a little bit. So whereas I was really comfortable being alone, most other people were not comfortable being alone. Therefore, they almost forced the social aspect. Of course, they're going to parties. Of course, they're hanging out all the time because that's what they're accustomed to, right? They almost need that interaction to feel comfortable. I didn't need that. And so that made me stand out a lot. Um, I think a lot of people mistook me as somebody who was really standoffish and somebody who was really confrontational. When in reality, I just truly, I don't want to say I didn't care, but I didn't need that social interaction. So to answer your question, how did I deal with it? Uh, poorly, because I, I took the stance that if I don't need it, I don't need to appease you just because you think I should be hanging out with my teammates all the time, just because you think I should be going to these parties. I'm, I'm fully comfortable being me. I don't need that. I don't really care for it. So that, that if you don't like it, that's a you problem. And I think that came off as really standoffish. It's something I probably could have done a lot better at when I was in school. But for the first couple of years, man, it was a lot of um, it was a lot of isolation. And then I think I learned as I went. Yeah, yeah, I actually feel a lot similar. And looking back now, it's like I definitely could have made more of my college experience with networking with more people and just getting out more. But for me personally, like my backstory, I was growing up with an alcoholic father my whole life and things got pretty bad with that. So in school growing up and public school, I was always just like a little awkward. I didn't really talk about home life that much. And I kind of like kept to myself like, yeah, I had friends and I played basketball during that time. I was like a little bit popular and I was still just really reserved. And then the senior year going into high school, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease, became homebound. And then I had two surgeries that removed my entire colon. And that put me homebound for a good two and a half, three years. And that was pre-COVID. So I kind of like adapted to be on my own in a sense and self-isolate before we all went in pandemic and shut down. So when online classes came, like a lot of people didn't like that. But me, I'm like, I'm stacking them up because I already learned how to learn by myself read a book and take the good notes. So I was prepared in a sense. And because of all that, I just kind of put my head down. I focused on building my brand in college. And honestly, I didn't really connect with that many people. Like I have a couple connections, but that's definitely something that if I were to go back, I would put myself out there in those situations and just meet more people. Man, you know, that's, things, things I want to touch great. on that. that yeah. That's so good. And I'm glad you're asking these questions. This is like the... Um, a lot of people don't ask me about this, and I, I love that this is going a different direction, but I think that was a huge advantage for me, the same way that you just described. Being homeschooled was a huge advantage going into college because I would get around 
you know, these other freshmen and they would talk to me about their experience during their freshman year. And they would say things like, I I just, nobody reminded me that I had to have this assignment due on this day. Like they just expected me to know. And I, now I failed this assignment and now I'm two points behind in class. Now I'm like, bro, you grown. What do you want somebody to do about it? I was like, when I was in high school, of course, when, when I was in the lower grades, right? Fifth grade, sixth grade, seventh grade, et cetera. My mom was really managing my educational process. So she would say, okay, here's the the curriculum and the books we're going to use. Here are the standardized tests that I want you to take at the end of the year. Here's how you're going to take them. Here's the, you know, and she would kind of structure everything out for me. When I got into high school, especially those last three years from ages, you know, 15, 16, 17, because I technically graduated at 17. She basically said, here are the requirements for you to graduate from the state of Alabama. Here's the ACT, you know, whenever you want to take it, however you want to, there you go. Here's the checklist, figure it out, you know? And she was there for me if I needed help. I don't want to make it sound like she was abandoning me. Uh, She was super supportive throughout the process, but she was also under the understanding that I'm going to have to figure this out on my own one day. Why don't I just give you the tools and the resources that you need and give you the responsibility? If you want to wake up at four o'clock in the morning and knock out all your school work before 9am and have the rest of the day to go train at the gym and go play video games. If you get it done, you get it done. If you want to take an hour to do work and an hour to play video games, an hour to do work and an hour to play game, as long as you get it done, if you want to study all day and graduate two years early instead of one day early, as long as you get it done. And I think that went a really long way towards number one, preparing me for the responsibility and the independence that came with college. And number two, it helped develop that mentality of just get it done, just get it done. And that's one thing that I I can't stand about the personal development space and the industry that I'm in right now is there's so much emphasis put on all this nuance of your morning routine and, and the mindset and this and that. And it's all great if it actually helps you. But at the end of the day, nobody cares. Get it done. That's it. And, and so many people are just not accustomed to that mentality. So many people are accustomed to, I need a structure. I need to be told what to do. I'm going to follow these orders uh, and, and I'm not going to do anything extra. People aren't used to that independent thinking. And I think being exposed to that at a very young age was a massive, massive benefit to where I ended up going and where I continue to go in life. So full credit to, uh, to homeschooling. Shout out to all the homeschoolers. Yeah. And I feel like that really prepares you for life much better than high school and college, because in those structured programs, they're just teaching you how to follow directions. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, that's what you're doing. You're getting these guides, these directions, and then it's just do it. And that's something that you can do on your own at homeschool. But you had that you had that accountability on yourself and it wasn't like I have to go to school and just go through the motions because that was me every day. Like in, in yeah. high school, I was a 2.0 GPA, turned it around to a four point in college, but I, I wasn't interested in anything. And every day was just, just dragging my feet through the motions. So when you can just like learn those real life skills, like when you learn business in college and then when you go do business in real life, totally different thing. So I think that kind of prepared you to get a head start on that as well. And especially just with everything that you're doing now. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I, I will say, I think you have a really good point when you say that that networking in college is yeah. definitely something that I think people like us sometimes miss out on. 
Um, those relationships are so incredibly important. And I think that there is a really fine line between standing strong in who you are and who you want to be while also being accepting of other people. And I think that's where I fell short in college because I was really good at standing strong on who I was. If people were trying to pressure me to go drink, go party, go do anything that I wasn't interested in doing, I would fight you before you would convince me to do it. it it's not going to happen, right? But going back to what we mentioned earlier, that came off as very standoffish and very self-isolating rather than virtuous. And so I think that there is a way to say, I respect what you want to do and I'm here, I'll, I'll be here with you, but I'm not going to partake. And that was the balance that I couldn't quite figure out at that young of an age. Um, because I think it really came down to, I was just scared. You know, I, I, I wasn't used to those environments. I wasn't used to being social and I was scared of the judgment. I was scared of, of, of the positions that I was going to be put in, in those environments. And I think my natural reaction to fear is aggression. <laughs> and, uh, it, it didn't serve me in that particular context, but I think there is a balance though. When you know who you are and you've got to know who you are. I always tell people going into college, when I talk to students, figure out who you are so that somebody else doesn't tell you who you are. If you don't know what you stand for, you'll fall for anything. And the position I see way too many students put themselves in is they haven't done the inner work to define what are my values? What kind of person do I want to be? What kind of future do I want to have? Because make no mistake about it, the decisions that you make at 17, 18, 19, that determines where you're going to be at 24, 25. Now, once you get to 25, you can course correct, sure, but now you're six, seven years ahead. I'm not trying to be funny. A lot of my college teammates who are drinking, partying, and smoking every single weekend, they're not in the position that I'm in financially. They're not in the position that I'm in uh, uh, relationally. They're not in the position that I'm in with influence, the brand, like they're not in this position. And it's not saying that they're that I'm better than them. It's saying that I made different decisions and those different decisions got different outcomes. And so you've got to be conscious of where you're going when you make those daily decisions at those ages. And if you have not done the work to create that vision of where you want to go to have some goals, to have an understand your own values, then you open the door for some random person that you just met to say, you know what, this is who you are. These are your values. And that's a dangerous, dangerous spot to be in. So you've got to figure that out. That's a prerequisite. If you, if you learn nothing in college other than who you are and what you want, it's time well spent. That's the only thing that you need to come out of college with. I promise you. But once you have that, you've got to be willing to say, I can accept other people and open myself up to experiences without compromising what these values and visions are. When you achieve that balance, then you figured it out. Yeah. I feel like all this comes with like a maturity and going through those experiences, learning and just like developing the mindset and then learning from your mistakes. Like I know what to do in this situation going forward. And it's just this continuous compound effect, essentially. If it's okay with you, I'd like to go back a second and dive in and get a little vulnerable. Do you mind sharing what some of your early struggles with were battling mental health and overcoming a victim mindset? Because that's something that when I got diagnosed, I was it was always why me and the world mm -hmm. was just everything crumbling against me. And I couldn't get out of that for a while. So I'd love to hear your take on that. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the earlier struggles, um, I don't talk about this a lot, but there's a, a history of suicide in my family. Um, there's a history of depression in my family. And that was something that I definitely, it, it, it got a hold of me when I was around 14, 15 years old. Um, 
to the point where I actually had written out a letter and I never wanted to hurt myself or anything like that, but I thought about it. It was this really strange thought pattern where I thought about every time I lay down at night and I close my eyes, I would see myself hurting myself and I would, I would think about dying, but I wouldn't, I didn't want it to happen, but I thought about it constantly. Really, really, really strange thought pattern. Uh, well, I don't want to say strange because it's actually incredibly common, but at the time when I didn't understand it, it was, it was shocking and very, very strange to me. Um, and I wrote out a letter one time of what I was feeling and what I was thinking and what I was seeing when I would close my eyes. And I hid it in this little diary book that I had that was under a stack of seven or eight different books that was on top of a pile of junk that was enclosed in my desk, right? In my room when I was, again, 14, 15 years old. Could not have possibly been found. Does not make sense that it could have been found. It's not like crumpled up in a ball and you can see a corner sticking out. I'm talking about flat, precisely folded in a book under seven other books, under a pile of junk in a desk. Could not have been found. And of course, one day my mom finds it. And she's like, we should talk about this, you know, and uh, full, full credit to my mother. I think she is one of the the chief reasons that I am who I am today. Uh, my father as well. But, you know, my mom was that person I've, I've always been able to talk to. And I think what she did a phenomenal job of is she came to me with the posture of it's okay. I'm not mad. I'm not judging you. Nothing's wrong, but open up and talk to me about it. And that was a transformative experience in and of itself, because that taught me how to deal with life's challenges. Right. And it doesn't matter if you're dealing with somebody else who's going through something like that, or if you're dealing with it yourself, the number one thing is stop judging yourself. Don't get, don't be hard on yourself because you're going through a tough time. Right. You have to have neutral thinking when it comes to any of life's adversities. You have to be able to acknowledge the situation and accept how severe it may be. You have to approach it with a realistic mindset of this is what's happening and it's serious enough that I need to take steps to deal with it. But you have to be neutral in the sense of you cannot be harsh on yourself for going through an experience, right? And so she, she taught me that. And I think from there, you know, it was just a, a, a constant process of evaluate, make adjustments, strive for a better tomorrow, evaluate the current situation, make the necessary adjustments, make tomorrow a little bit better. One step at a time. I had a coach one time tell me, if you just keep your head down and put one foot in front of the other, eventually, by the time you're able to pick your head up again, you'll be in a better place. And I think that was the system for overcoming the victim mindset, because like you said, at first, it was very oh my God, this is so strange. Why is this happening to me? Am I broken? What's wrong with me, right? What's the world done to me? What? Why me, God, right? And again, evaluate, adjust, strive for a better tomorrow. And eventually, you, you, you know, when you're in it, tomorrow doesn't feel any better. You wake up the next day, you don't feel any better than you did yesterday. And you say, this isn't working. A hundred tomorrows later, maybe you start to notice a difference. A thousand tomorrows later, your whole life can change. The only way that you lose is if you choose not to have another tomorrow. That's deep, but that's what we're here for. Bringing those powerful messages out and 
you know, for anyone out there in a similar situation and a bad mindset, like those are some tools that they can apply and they can put one foot in front of the other and just continue that process. We're not saying it's going to be easy. It's definitely not easy. And we've both have gone through our struggles, but we're testimonies that if you do do that, you can get to the other side, you can get the life that you want. And there's happiness out there. You just have to be willing to find it and be available for that to come into your life. So I think it's just so important because first, like we, we've been through there. So we want to show that it's possible. And for me, I think a lot of it is knowing that everything is temporary, like stoicism philosophy. That's kind of been my guiding grace in a sense. And just the fact that events happen and we can't control everything that happens, but we control how we respond and what we do next. And that goes back to just taking that one foot in front of the other and just moving forward. Absolutely. No, it's so, so incredibly important. And and that stoic philosophy is really, I, I think that non-judgmental self-evaluation, that's stoicism, right? I'm able to objectively view the situation. I'm able to understand what might need to change, what steps that I can take. I understand it's going to be on me to help improve the situation but I'm not going to judge the situation as either positive or negative. It just is. It is what it is. And then we learn how to deal with it from there. I think a lot of times in life, people put themselves through unnecessary suffering by assigning really negative value to things that really don't matter. It's like, oh, I'm I'm, I'm probably going to have to go bankrupt. So? How much is your life really going to change? Like, is it unfortunate? Yeah. Do you have to make some adjustments? Yeah. Does that have anything to do with your your health? Does that have anything to do with the happiness you get from your connections, from your relationships? Does it have anything to do with the joy that you can find from day-to-day life? Does it really, does it change where you're going to work or who you're going to be with? Or like, does it suck? Yeah. What? Whatever. Like, you know, but people get so that we assign value to things based on what other people assign value to without making our own judgment on whether it is worth assigning value to. And I think that that's a mistake. I think that while there are some fundamental value structures that are interwoven into society, I think that uh, if we want to go that deep and philosophical about it, Nietzsche had a point when he said that, you know, you got to create your own value system and live by that. And uh, I, I think not enough people even explore that possibility. Right. Yeah. Because it's like society has its own set of rules and which is like, oh, we'll follow that. But it's like, no, you can literally create whatever you want. Like everything that exists started as an idea. And a lot of times those ideas got criticized. People looked down on them. They said they couldn't do it. But if you just believe in your true purpose and you create your own calling, then you can manifest those and turn them into reality. And, you know, it goes back to your point, like we suffer more in imagination than we do reality. We always come up with these worst case scenarios, but oftentimes it's not going to be that bad. And we're able to navigate through it better than we think we can. (laughs) And uh, that's Mm -hmm. something that I've learned on my journey. Um, Something I've touched on is our philosophy experiences plus mindset equals growth. And that's something that you clearly embody. And you mentioned how when you were in gymnastics, you got cut four times in five years, but you didn't let those setbacks stop you. Instead, you looked inward and you kind of like persevered to carve out your own path and with coaching too. So 
How did you maintain a strong mindset to navigate those setbacks and not give up on yourself or your dreams? Mm, that's a good question. I think that the biggest thing when it comes to maintaining your mindset through the course of adversity is making sure that you picked the right North Star. And what I mean by that is, and you, you said something just a second ago that was really impactful. Um, you mentioned something along the lines of knowing your own, and, and maybe you can rephrase it, but knowing your own goals and passions, or at least that's what I was thinking of when you said it. And that's the same idea of having the right North star. A lot of people are borrowing other people's goals and borrowing other people's vision and borrowing other people's ambitions. When you do that, you put yourself in a position where you, you might be able to borrow the vision, but you can't borrow the fuel. You, you can borrow the destination, but you can't borrow the vehicle to get you there. And what ends up happening is just because you see something that seems attractive on Instagram and you think that that should be your goal and your ambition and what you strive for, you're not going to be able to have the same drive that somebody who is really passionate about whatever that goal or vision is, is going to have. You can't recreate that, right? And if you're going to be able to fight through the adversity that's very, very natural to life, because everybody goes through adversity and opposition, everybody goes through failure, everybody goes through some form of difficulty and challenge. So if you're going to be able to go through that, and you know you're going to go through that eventually, you're going to face it, you have to be connected to something that is right for you. For some people, that's faith. For some people, it's a big enough vision or dream or goal. Um, and so for me with gymnastics, it was just a matter of, uh, it was a few things. It was values because I firmly believe the way you do anything is the way you do everything. I didn't want to not give a hundred percent. I didn't want to establish the habit of quitting because next time there might be a lot more on the line than one of these championship rings. And so I don't want to establish the habit of quitting. So values was a big part of it for me, not willing to sacrifice the value based on the pain that I was currently experiencing. Right. And that's, that's a really big problem for people, right? This is a slight segue, but that's a really, really, really big problem is people will go through the effort and the intention of building their values. People will go take the time because self-development is cool now. And people will take the time to take a piece of paper and write out their values and say, this is who I want to be. This is how I want to live. But when the pain comes, when the opposition comes, when the challenge comes and it stress tests those values, then they have to make a decision. Am I willing to sacrifice the value for temporary comfort and convenience, or am I willing to stand on the value for long-term success? And that's a trade-off that a lot of people, unfortunately, get wrong. Because it's one thing to sit here and do our little personal development stuff and read our books and watch somebody online and then write out our values. That's great. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it doesn't mean anything unless it is backed by action. And that's the challenge I have with the industry today, with the whole personal development thing, is we get people a high of feeling good when they hear things that they resonate with. It's a high to feel like you're learning. It's a high to feel like you're developing. But writing out your values is not developing. That's going from zero to 1%. The one to 99% is actually stress testing the values and knowing that that's who you are. And we can go really, really, uh, we're not going to go there. We're not going to go there. I was about to say we could go even deeper with the whole, there, there's a really spiritual connection to that where um, there's this point in Genesis where Moses asks uh, God, you know, who should I say sent me? And God responds, tell, tell them that the I am sent you, that I am who I am, right? 
And the significance behind that is if you are something, if you truly fully embody something, if you have become the absolute highest manifestation of a particular concept, it means intrinsically that you have to have full alignment and thought, word, and deed. That's what makes God. He is, There's no sinful thoughts, no sinful words, no sinful deeds. It is all in complete and perfect alignment. And then if you do that with one concept, that's really what the actualization of a value is. So if I value perseverance, I have to think in a way that is in alignment with that. I have to talk in a way that's in alignment with that. I have to act in a way that's in alignment with that. And I can never deviate. So that that alignment is extrapolated across time. I have now become the embodiment of that value. That's worth something. Then if you extrapolate that across all the possible positive values, now you have something that is very godlike in essence because it is the full embodiment and manifestation of all that is good in every direction that could be good, right? It's a very, very spiritual concept. And so when we think about values personally, the goal is to be as close to what I just described in as many areas as possible, but actually live by it. And thinking it through is a great first step, but actually living by it is a, is, is a significantly more developmental experience because through the act of trying to live like that, it changes who you are fundamentally. I am. He didn't say who talked to you. He didn't say who you saw. I am. It changes who you are when you attempt to live in accordance to those values. So that's an aside. The values is a really big piece of it. The second piece is having that correct North Star. I love gymnastics. I'm passionate about gymnastics. I still do gymnastics for no reason. I don't get paid to do gymnastics. It hurts my body. I was just, I was in the gym last night, uh, literally last night. And it, it crossed my mind. I'm 25 years old and I feel like I'm at least 55. My ankles hurt. My knees hurt. My elbows hurt. Every joint in my body hurts. There, there's no point to do what I do anymore. I don't, again, I don't get paid for it. I don't, uh, you know. Gymnastics is not one of those sports that that makes you famous. It's not football, you know. Um, it's painful. It 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 is not really good for you, you know. I'm sacrificing my body, you know. Sixty years from now, I'm gonna regret this. But you know, I really really love it. So that correct north star for me was, I know what everybody else says about well, I could because this is before the days of nil, right? So if I went and uh, let me back up for a second. This is when my social media was blowing up. I had 50 million views on a sitting backflip video, went wild on social media, was getting opportunities for licensing deals for the, the media left and right. And so I could have been making, I mean, $10,000, $20,000 off of that video, that one video, which to a broke college kid who's putting himself through school is a lot of money. This was before the NIL deals though. So if I had taken that, I would forfeit my eligibility, therefore sacrifice the value. Just because I see a shiny object, I didn't want to sacrifice that value that I had set of, of perseverance and dedication. But the other part of that is everybody's in my ear saying, dude, you know, you're not going to make the team anyway. You know, you're uh, you're about to have surgery for your injury anyway. Why not take the money? Cut and run. This is a way better opportunity for you. Having the right North Star means that despite the pain, despite the other voices in your head, whether they're your own doubts and, and other uh, hesitations, or if it's the voices of other people that are getting in your head, you are so strong in the conviction that you just want to do the thing that you keep doing the thing despite everything else. That's what I mean by have the right North Star. And you, again, you can't borrow that from somebody else. 
So I'm rambling. So I'm going to let you jump in now. <laughs> no, I, I love that you did that. And especially going deep on the spiritual side, because that's something I've always repelled against growing up being like thrown into it too much. And I've always just rebelled. So I actually got my Bible last month for the first time. And I'm just available and open for the first time in my life after 24 years. So it's awesome. It's, uh, yeah, it's an awesome thing. And the fact that you just touched on it, like I'm going to go dive into that part later on and just read more up on it. But um, you know, what's funny is I was exactly the same way. I was exactly the same way. I was the one who grew up like being forced to go to church and I hated it. Sunday morning was my least favorite part of the week because I didn't like to dress up. I didn't like to go sit there and listen to things that I thought were boring. I didn't like to sing the 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 church songs and any of that. I, I absolutely hated it. And I was uh, just brought down a journey of, you know, I'm very, very logical. I'm very analytical. I stress test a lot of my ideas and I was taken through a journey, especially getting with ET and, and all of that. I was taken through this journey where it had to make more sense to me that there was some force at play uh, that made more sense than there not being another force at play. So um, I just wanted to say that, that if, if that's, you know, anybody who's listening, where if you're like that, you're kind of that rebellious spirit. So was I. So, so don't take this as like the corny preacher guy. I promise you. I was the exact same way where I really believed in logic and, and structure and, and things that I can understand. And I still do to a very large extent, but just have an open heart is what I would encourage people to do. Yeah. I've always been on like the scientific side too, but again, with all these coincidences and how you see things like line up that it's like, there's no way that should have happened. And it's just like one <laughs> yeah. thing after another, and it just keeps on going. It's like, all right, I, I see you, God. There's there's someone up there like orchestrating all of this. But yeah, like what we got on, the, on that last one was uh, kind of like how society kind of like tells you what you should do and then carving out your own path in that sense. And, you know, I just thought of like playoffs right now and the difference between like motivation and purpose. Like everyone wants to win the championship. There's no doubt about that. They all don't want to go through the pain. Some are going to be more willing to go through that because they have the stronger purpose. And when you get to those those final games or you're in the semifinals, your body hurts from playing every other day. It's not going to be the championship that really it's not going to be that destination that gets you to there. It's going to be the journey, loving the the journey of walking. <laughs> and um, it's it's just finding that North star and that purpose, like that's always going to be stronger than some temporary motivation. And I know we both kind of like reposted this thing with Alex Harmozy, how he said the man that loves walking uh, won't stop no matter how much, or sorry, the man who walks to save his loved ones won't stop no matter how much he hates walking. And it sounds like when you were in those tough times, like that's what you kind of did to get through that. Like whether that was your mom or just being and like your teammates and just going through all of that. And I was, I went through a pretty tough time myself being suicidal when I was diagnosed and none of the medications were working. I realized I was forced to have surgeries and I just wanted to end all of the pain that I was experiencing now, but then I knew what was coming. Like I knew I had two surgeries in the summer. There was going to be possibly complications. That's what I ended up dealing with. And 
it was tough. Like even my girlfriend at the time cheated on me and that was just like pushing the dagger even deeper. So at that point, like I just wanted to twist it and be done with everything. Like I, I was ready, but I thought about my mom and my grandpa and I put this like seven day deadline on to actually end my life. And I just thought about them closer as those days went on and thought about all the sacrifices that they did for me. And it just wasn't fair. It would be like pulling the dagger out of me and putting it in them. And that's something that even though I wouldn't be here, like I couldn't live with that. And it, it was just the wrong thing to do. So I, I don't know why I've never, I've only shared this twice now, but just this conversation, it is really pulling me towards that way. And it's all about that bigger purpose. Like I did not want to go through all of those experiences, but I had to continue just putting my head down and marching forward because I had those other people in my life. And no matter how hard it sucked, I was going to keep doing it for them. It wasn't about me at that point. And even this brand, like I started with a blog just to share the first four years of my health journey. Like it had nothing to do with Nova Fusion. I had no brand at the time. It was just me sharing what I was going through. And hopefully I could help someone in a similar situation at the time. And that was just my North star at the time. And just how it still is, honestly, like everything that I do comes back full circle. That's why we're having this conversation to impact someone out there that's going through a similar situation. So it all just comes full circle. And when you have that deeper purpose, life, life is just so much better but it'll also push you through those painful times. So good. That's first of all, you know, never choose a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Um, human beings are incredibly, incredibly good at adapting, unbelievably good at adapting to any kind of the most extreme circumstances that you can think of. People are very good at adapting and we can, we can set new normals very quickly. Right. So a lot of times people go through pain and they think it's going to last exactly the same way forever. Now, if you have a chronic illness, you might live with the illness forever. You might have some of those real, very, you know, it, it, it's, it, it is what it is. They're the complications that you're going to live with forever. But the discomfort, the discontent and the unhappiness that you feel in the first six months after diagnosis is not going to feel that way. Six years after it's not going to feel that way. 60 years after, right. You're going to learn how to extract meaning and happiness and value out of life itself in other ways. Even if certain avenues are now shut off to you, you will reroute, right? It's like, if you're, if you're driving a car and you've got your GPS situated, you've got a start point, you've got an end point, And all of a sudden you run up against some construction. The GPS doesn't say, well, I'm going to turn off. We're just, we're just going to sit here on the side of the road and we're going to end the journey. Let's just go home. Right? No, the GPS says, here's another way. Is it longer? Is it more inconvenient? Probably. But can you still get there? Always can get there. The only way that you don't get to the destination is if you turn around and go home. Right. Yeah. So have you ever heard me tell the story about the guy who fell in a hole? No, I haven't. So there's a guy walking down the street and he falls in a hole. Right. And our guy's in a hurry. He's got to go to work. He's stressed out about something. He's got his briefcase and everything. And he's just booking it down the sidewalk. And he's walking, he's walking, he's walking. He's looking at his phone. He's listening to messages. He's not really paying attention. 
and he falls into a hole. And the hole is so deep and the walls are so steep that he cannot get out. He starts to climb. He starts to scratch. He starts to claw at the walls of this thing. He's jumping. He's doing everything that he can, but he cannot get out of the hole. And he starts to feel kind of down on himself. He starts to blame himself. He's like, why did nobody else fall down here but me? Why am I stuck down here? Why is this happening to me? And why can I not get myself out of here? Why am I not good enough to just jump out of here, to just climb out of here? What's wrong with me? And sooner or later, he starts to look up and he sees the people walking by on the street. And he sees all of them dodging that hole that he fell into. But he can see them walking by, back and forth, and back and forth. And he looks up there and he sees a doctor walk by in his white lab coat. And so he shouts up for help. He says, doctor, I'm stuck down here. Is there is there something you can do to help me? And he reaches into his white lab coat. He pulls out a pen and pad, writes out a prescription, tears it off, throws it in the hole, and he walks away. And the guy who's stuck says, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? I'm stuck down here. I need help. I don't need a prescription. I need help. But the guy was already gone. And so he sits there and he looks around and he's trying to find anything that he can think of to get himself out of there. And he still feels stuck. He still feels helpless and he can't do anything about it. But he looks up and he sees a preacher walk by and he's in his priestly robe. So he shouts up, Father, Father, I'm stuck down here. Is there anything you can do to help me? Of course, he's a pastor. So he stops and he's a little bit more receptive to the guy because he kind of has to be. And he speaks with him for a little bit. But sooner or later, he's got to go. It's Sunday. He's got church service. He has things to do and places to be. So he takes out a pen and pad from his priestly robes, writes out a prayer, tears it off, throws it in the hole. And our guy goes, man, what in the world is this supposed to do for me? I'm stuck down here. I don't see a way out. I can't get out of here. I've tried everything I can think of. And now I, I'm completely hopeless. I don't know what to do next. He lays there and he starts to lose hope. And in one last ditch effort of desperation, he sees a friend pass by on the surface. And he says, hey, man, it's me. I'm stuck down here and I, I can't get out. And the friend reacts a little bit differently. He, he steps to the very edge of the hole. He looks in there. He assesses the situation. He takes a deep breath. And then he jumps. And our guy goes, dude, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck down here. And the friend says, yeah, but I've been down here before. And I know the way out. The purpose of that story is not the person who fell in the hole. It's not the person who fell on hard times and opposition and adversity and difficulty and challenge. It's about the person who had been there before, remained faithful over a few, was able to get out of that situation, and now is uniquely positioned to reach back and help somebody else. You will be able to reach somebody that I can't reach. I don't have Crohn's. I can't. Th there's somebody that you can reach with your platform, with your message, with your story that I will never be able to reach. Eric Thomas can't reach them. Tony Robbins can't reach them. Brendan Burchard, Ed Milet, all these big names, Inky, no, it doesn't matter. They can't get to them the way that you can. And I can get to people that you can't. And I can get to people that ET can't. And ET can get to people that I can't and that you can't. And so we all have these experiences of pain. And it would be unwise to try and avoid those. See, pain is the necessary prerequisite for life. I don't know if you've ever tried being alive. It's kind of painful. Just emotionally, mentally, physically, you're not going to get out of here without going through some pain. You can't do it. Pain is an intrinsic portion to life. Trying to, in, to avoid it is futile. The mission should be to make it meaningful. Yeah. It's not to avoid pain. It's to make the pain mean something. It's to make it meaningful. And I believe the way that you do that is by transmuting that pain 
into some form of purpose. And you spoke about the North Star. You spoke about having that purpose that is far greater than any temporary motivation. I think that's how you do it. I think that's how you do it. Because that story that you just told is not even about you. It's about the person that's listening to this and will be helped by it. And the fact that you were strong enough to get through it will strengthen somebody else, right? The, the, the Bible says we are lenders, not borrowers. We think of that financially. We think that, oh, we're supposed to, because we hear the word lend and we assume money. You are lending people your strength by sharing the story that you just shared. People can borrow the strength, the vision, the courage that you had just by you sharing that story. And they might be able to borrow it long enough to get through one more day. And if they borrow it long enough to get through one more day, that means they can do one more and one more and one more. And a thousand one more days later, they're going to look back and say, my life looks absolutely nothing like it did when I was feeling that way. Man, you, you just nailed it right there. And like, we're all going to have pain in life, but it comes down to kind of choosing your heart and like, what type of pain do you want? Like, we're always going to have problems, but you can take the easy route and have worse problems later on, or you can do the hard thing now and have an easier life later. And, you know, that doesn't mean you're not going to escape any of the pain going forward, but you can manage it better. And if you collect tools in your toolkit and you just have these ways to cope and, you know, manage these these uh, adversities that you're going on, because that's the thing, we're always going to have adversity. And whether you can relate with Crohn's or not, you're going through struggles. And the fact that I was able to come out of my struggles, no matter how difficult they seem, I did it. And that's just an inspiration that, oh, well, if he overcame that, then I can overcome what I'm going through. And that's kind of been my message ever since. So that's it. That's love it. that you touched that's on so good. And, and, and I love that you said uh, adding tools to your toolkit, right? Because yeah. that's really what happens is life never gets easier. And, and people need to break that that belief. People assume that at some point, whether it's when a disease goes into remission or whether it's when I make a certain amount of money or when I get married or whatever that arbitrary goalpost is in your life, people think that when they achieve that, life will suddenly be easier, that whatever that thing is will take some burden off of them. That never really happens. As a matter of fact, I believe life gets harder the more successful that you become. The, the responsibility and the burdens increase. They never really decrease. I, I have this saying that I like to tell people, especially athletes, I say that when you work hard enough for long enough, you earn the privilege of working harder for longer. And what that means is there's a certain level that you have to qualify for. But the qualification is working really hard for a really long time. Once you qualify for it, what is required for that next 1% of growth is working even harder and even longer than the last 99% of growth that you just experienced. And that process constantly repeats. We constantly level up in life. We constantly challenge ourselves and we constantly develop and grow. But that's the point. Life does not get easier. Life gets more difficult, more challenging as you progress and as you attempt to conquer higher and higher things. But you get stronger with each level that you go to. You develop more and more with each level that you go to. People spend too much time trying to affect the world instead of trying to affect themselves. You're not going to be able to change the world. You're not going to be able to change how hard things are. You're not going to be able to change the challenges that come with life. What you can change is who you are. 
But when you change who you are, you change the way that you as a force act on the world. And that changes how the world as a force acts on you. So if you would stop trying to look out and start trying to look in, that's how you change the world. Yeah. yeah in a saying. very, very real sense. Yeah. The world will respond to you and the way that you develop. And I, I haven't figured out how to articulate this yet. It, it, it's a it's a it's a big idea that I've been wrestling with, but I really believe that you don't change the world. The world changes based on how you change yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a video, you said it starts with me, and then it goes to we. Like you have to change yourself, and then that impact that you create has a ripple effect on others. So if if you're living in your true purpose, and that inspires someone else to live in their true purpose that can inspire someone close to them and it's so on. So it's just this ripple effect and just with good deeds too, like simple as complimenting someone and making them smile on the street. Like that kindness might inspire kindness for them to share with someone else. Like that made me feel good. So you just never know how that ripple effect can create such a big impact over time and just where it's going to go. Another thing you talk about is like those goalposts and having that destination. You had the goalpost of becoming a gymnastics coach. And then in college, you started seeing Eric Thomas on a weekly basis. And that kind of like switched up for you. So I'm curious if you could share the backstory on how you met Eric in the first place. And what was that first in-person meeting like? Yeah. Yeah. I love that we're an hour in and I think I've only let you ask three questions because I'm talking so much. Uh, I apologize. So how did that, how did that go down? Basically, you know, I, I always was attracted to coaching. Um, matter of fact, gymnastics is a really expensive sport. You know, it's, it's kind of a bougie sport. Um, so we couldn't really afford it when I was a kid. And so when I was 15 years old, that was, uh, the minimum age to get a job in the state of Alabama. And so I started working, uh, coaching gymnastics at my home gym to pay for my meat fees, uniforms, you know, things like that, because I started competing shortly after that. So I had always been coaching and I always knew that I loved to coach. I was always attracted to helping people fulfill their potential, right? It doesn't mean everybody has to be an Olympian. It just means that I really love the process of if you max out at a cartwheel, but you started not being able to even think that you could do that. That's an amazing journey, right? Like that is so cool to help somebody be able to go from A to B like that to me. So I knew that I loved it. I knew that I was naturally good at it. Um, my natural skill set is much more analytical than it is competitive. You know, I like to break things down. I like to see cause and effect. I like to understand, well, the reason that you didn't land the cartwheel is because you were sideways. And the reason you were sideways is because of the shoulder angle and that reverse engineering thing. I really enjoy that process. So I knew that I was attracted to it. And then I went to Michigan and I, I, I tried to be this superstar athlete. And in all honesty, it was probably a little bit of a misalignment because I knew going into it, I was a better coach than I was an athlete. I knew that. I just wanted to keep training. And in my limited belief mindset, I thought that the only way to continue doing the sports that I loved is if I was trying to compete. It never crossed my mind. Why don't I just go coach, which is what I also really love to do, and then contribute to the team that way. And then just keep training. You know, when the guys leave at night, I'll just keep training myself. Like I could have done that. It probably would have been a lot smarter, but the story wouldn't have been nearly as cool. So let's, you know, work with it. Right. Um, you know, so 
get cut from the team four times in five years. Most people assume that I made it my last year. I actually was, was redshirted my first year on the team, my freshman year, but I wasn't cut. So I was on the team that, that freshman year was cut all four years. Subsequently, my last year, I actually had the opportunity to get back on the team because it was a 24 man roster. One guy was kicked off the team for behavioral issues. And then the head coach came to me and said, you know, you can have a spot if you want it. I know you've been working for this. You won't compete. You know, you're not good enough to make a lineup, but you can have the spot. You can make the team if you want to. However, I know that last year after you had gotten cut, you started helping us out as the volunteer assistant coach. You did such a good job with that and you contributed so much. I would prefer if you actually came back this year as the volunteer assistant instead of taking this spot on the team. And so that's what I did. And that's these championship rings right here are from coaching. They're not for me as an athlete. Those are from coaching. So that really got me down the path of professionally pursuing this coaching thing. I really would have enjoyed a life of coaching gymnastics. And I think that's where my story is different from most entrepreneurs is that I really had a great backup plan. I would be super happy coaching gymnastics and making like 70 grand a year and, and developing kids. And I'd be doing the same thing. Like I'd be speaking at gymnastics practice. I'd be leading my team. I would be like, I'd be having a great time. Um, And I'd still be training and a lot of things would still be the same. Like I would love it. And I think that honestly gave me the freedom to say, you know what? I've got this path set. And and I knew that, right? Like I had degrees. I had uh, the experience a decade. By the time I finished college, I'd been coaching for nearly a decade. I had a lot of references. I had a ton of experience with the right people. I knew I had that path laid out in front of me if I wanted it. And I think that really freed me up to say, okay, well, let me think about this. Is there something better that maybe I could be open to that's different? I don't want to do this just because it's the natural next step. I want to do this because it feels right. So I started watching Eric Thomas um, and I had been familiar with him for a while. I'd started watching him during that process of getting cut each and every year, struggling athlete, needed the motivation. I loved the way that he spoke to certain concepts. And so I, I started following all of his content. I ended up seeing an Instagram ad one day, just randomly scrolling. One-on-one coaching session with ET, $250. I said, $250 for ET? That sounds like a really good deal. It was a Christmas special. It was the only time in his career, by the way, he's ever done this. And it was a 30 minute one-on-one phone call. And at the time I was driving a beat up 2008 Nissan Altima coupe. That was a hand-me-down from uh, a family member. And it was, I'd never received anything like this in my life because we grew up kind of, you know, broke. So I had never even had a car. And this was when I was 21 years old, first car, just got a driver's license at 21 because I didn't have a car. So I had no need. And, uh, the only thing I ever wanted was a stereo system in that car. So I had literally the week before this taken it to the, the audio shop and had it fitted for a subwoofer. Cause I thought that was, that was what I wanted. And it was going to be exactly $250. So now I'm sitting here like, man, really God, you're going to make me choose between a 30 minute phone call and the sound system I've been thinking about for the last six months. Really? And I don't know who ET is in real life. I don't know if he's the same guy that I see on YouTube. I don't know if he's going to be receptive to me and the things that I want to talk to him, but I don't know any of this stuff. For whatever reason, I just felt like it was an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And I ended up doing the coaching session, got on the phone with him. And I was telling him about a lot of things that were going on in my life at that point. You know, I told him that my dad had just been diagnosed with cancer. I told him that I had gone through a breakup. I told him that I was cut from the team. I told him about the wrist surgery that I was about to have, all these different things. 
And throughout the course of the conversation, he gave me a lot of really good counsel, but somewhere in the conversation, he learned that I was at the University of Michigan and he was, of course, in Lansing, Michigan. That's where he lives, is out in Lansing. And so he said, why don't you come meet me for breakfast at five o'clock in the morning this weekend? And I, I stuttered over my words. I said, what do you mean? Come meet you for breakfast. He said, yeah, come out here and let's talk. I said, I'm there. Now, keep in mind, I'm an hour and a half away. So I've got to you know, get up at three o'clock in the morning to go meet this guy. And I'd never done that on purpose before in my entire life. But set about 30 different alarms. And I had two full cups of coffee ready to chug at the bedside as soon as I woke up. So I was able to get out there and talk to him. And we sat down. And I almost don't remember the specifics of what we talked about. Right. But I, I remember a few things a few certain lines, you know, he talked to me about relationships and, and values. And we talked a lot about spirituality and we talked about speaking a little bit and it was a good interaction. It, it really changed the way that I view what I was doing at that point. One of the biggest things he told me is, you know, you've had a lot of unique experiences in your life. You've got to find a way of translating the lessons you've learned and giving those to people in a way that they can apply without having to go through what you went through to receive those lessons. That was one of the biggest things he said to me. And that really changed my, my mentality of what coaching really was supposed to be about. But, you know, we parted ways at the end of that. And that was that. From there, I started volunteering because I said, I don't really know what just happened here, but I feel like it's special and I feel like I need to stay close to this. So I started volunteering at as many of the events, the conferences and, and things like that, that I could possibly go to. And then I ended up finding out that he had an event called the Success Series at Michigan State University every Monday night. That was a free talk that he did open to the public. So every Monday for two years straight, wake up, 7 a.m. lift, 8 a.m. practices, I'm sorry, 8 a.m. classes one o'clock-ish practices, five o'clock after the practice, I would jump in the car, drive out to Michigan State, hear ET speak, jump back in the car, drive back to U of M, coach personal training sessions at night to pay for the gas. And I did that for two years and I never got to talk to ET during that entire time. You know, I would see him at the other events that I volunteered for, but on those Monday nights, I never got a chance to really talk to him because I had to go back home and do the personal training stuff. But I always sat in the same seat and I always wore Michigan gear on you on uh, uh, MSU's campus because I wanted to make sure that he saw me. Even if I didn't talk to him, he knew I was there. Did that for two years. And uh, I was about to graduate. This is March of 2020, just before the, the pandemic hit. And I developed this whole binder full of stuff, 60 pages worth of my writing samples, cover letter, resume, anything I could think of to give to this guy. Cause I couldn't speak back then. I was still super introverted, still shy, still terrified of the world. And so I would write my ideas on these concepts, but I wouldn't articulate them verbally. But I had 60 pages worth of uh, uh, half of a book worth of these philosophical musings on motivation, right? So the plan was I was going to hand that to him at the end of his presentation that night, and I was going to ask for an opportunity. He ends up going through his presentation. I don't hear anything that he says because I'm terrified out of my mind to have this conversation at the end of the night. And he ends up moving toward the back door, and he says... Sorry, everybody, I can't stick around and take pictures tonight. I keep hearing about this thing, coronavirus, but I'm, don't worry. I'll be back next week. Because we had all heard about it at this point, but we nobody thought it was a big deal, right? And he ends up leaving through the back door of that arena. 
And for whatever reason, I just knew that I couldn't let that opportunity pass. I left my laptop, backpack, everybody I was with. I sprinted up two flights of stairs, went around the other side of the building. This was at Ericsson Kiva. You've probably been there. And uh, went out the other side of the building and I beat him to his car in the parking lot because I knew where he parked his car every single week. I beat him to his car and I just handed it. It's it's like raining and cold and windy because it's March in Michigan. And I just handed him this binder of all these materials that I'd prepared for him. And I don't even remember what I said. It was something along the lines of, I'll do anything for an opportunity, you know, because I had this whole script in my mind of how I was going to intro this opportunity and it went right out the window. And he committed to giving me an unpaid internship right there on the spot. Wow. Fast forward a few months, I worked for him remotely during the summer of, of 2020, which was, of course, the COVID summer, um, the, the lockdown summer. And I had this job offer to go coach gymnastics at this very well-known elite gym out in Texas. Uh, they were going to pay me $60,000 a year, which is more than my parents have ever made in a year combined. And uh, I was probably on track to be the next USA Gymnastics elite team coach, probably would have gone to the Olympics as a coach one day. And uh, I ended up calling that guy and turning down the job offer just to finish the unpaid internship with ET. I had no clue where it was going to go. I had no clue where it was going to lead. I just knew that I was going to regret not seeing it through all the way. And I had to turn down the job in order to fully execute the, the, the length of the internship, right? I got to the end of the internship, get a text from ET, a text, literally, it didn't even call me. How much do you want to make in your first year full-time? And that was it. Wow. That's such an incredible story. And going back to like how things just kind of align where all these coincidences just kind of happen. It's just a perfect example of that. And you having the courage to put yourself out in those situations with the uncertainty that goes through it. And obviously you're probably feeling a little hesitant or insecure or just doubtful about whatever was going to happen, but you kind of like leaned into your intuition. And that's something that I've noticed that you'd say is like, I felt that I should do this. Is uh, mm -hmm. intuition something that you kind of always tune into or like, yeah, how's your relationship with that? It's, it's really interesting, right? Because I, it's such a good question. I am an incredibly detail-oriented, analytical, skeptical person, and I tend to be driven by fear. I think a lot of my work ethic comes from a fear of not being worthy, a fear of not being valuable, a fear of not being enough. And, and I'm, I'm terrified of making mistakes, always. I mean, I've caught myself 17 times during this podcast saying, I, I could have said that better. I should have said that better. I, I don't like the way that I said that. And, it's, and my mind is constantly along those lines. And it's it's not in an unhealthy way. I've, I've It used to be. I've learned how to disassociate my self-criticism from my self-worth, mm -hmm. which is a very valuable skill set that I've learned how to do, by the way, because I feel like you do have to be a certain level of self-critical. You do have to hold yourself to very high standards. You just also have to practice some grace and understanding with yourself along that process. It's okay to be both very strict on yourself and want the utmost quality from yourself while also forgiving yourself constantly. Those two can exist at the same time. But I think that I'm, I'm driven by fear. I'm very analytical, very, very skeptical. However, I've noticed a pattern and this almost goes back to the spirituality thing. Given that that is the way I'm naturally wired, I've still noticed a pattern that certain things are unexplainable and those things seem to be done in my favor. I, that story I just told you about how I met ET and it, come on, man, 
I know. You're telling me you're, you're telling me I was born and raised in Huntsville, Alabama, which is where he went to school, by the way. E.T. went to school at an HBCU called Oakwood University, which is 10 minutes from where I grew up. So we both have strong ties to Huntsville. I just so happened to choose Michigan as the school that I wanted to go to. I just so happened to go through all of these things that were hard enough to break me, to make me want to make the investment to talk to somebody like E.T. Had I not gone through dad getting cancer, going through the breakup, going through the surgery, going through all these things at that exact moment in time, I probably would have gone and gotten the sound system that I wanted instead of going talking to ET. ET right. had to have enough grace and faith in me to invite me out there to go have breakfast with him. I then had to make the like there's so many things that have to go right. It doesn't make sense, you know? And so for me, it's like okay, I understand that here's how I think in coaching, here's how I think in business, and this is valuable in this setting. Over here though, that spiritual thing seems to work for me. That's mm. exactly how I feel about intuition. It's not natural for me, but I have a track record of getting good results with it. And it seems like whenever I go with that intuition, I'm tapped into something that's more powerful than I can be myself. It feels like I'm tapped into something that's more guiding and and caring than I can be about myself. So I don't know if it's intuition, if it's more of a spirit-led thing, if it's faith. But whatever that thing is, it gives me better results than I can give myself. And I've, I've learned slowly over the years to trust it. And you think it's an alignment too, right? Alignment with what? Uh, just kind of like your values and who you want to become when you step into those situations. And for sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, and that's a big reason I think that I decided to go through with the ET thing. And it's funny, I was literally in this raggedy raggedy apartment in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And my girlfriend had moved in with me during the pandemic because we figured, well, if this thing is going to kill us all, let's let's die together. So <laughs> we moved into this apartment together and uh she was with me that entire process. And I asked her one day, what do you think I should do? Because I I really tend to stress over decisions, like big decision points like this. I really tend to mull over them and I make my pro and con list and I think things through really, really, you know, like I told you, really analytical, skeptical. So I'm thinking these things through. And she she tends to be a little bit more of a high level visionary type person than I am. And she just turned to me one day and she's like, you know, you're going to regret it if you don't try. You know, you're going to. She was like, you know, you're going to do it because she knows that as skeptical and analytical as I am, I'm also very stubborn, aggressive. I will get what I want, you know, that type of type A personality at the same time. And so she, like, she just knew you're, you're not going to be happy if you don't do it. Mm-hmm. And I had a very similar conversation with my dad along the same timeline. And he told me this story about how he had a safe government job. He, he worked at uh, Northrop Grumman, really big military contracting company. And he had worked there for ages and he told me a story about how three months before he was laid off, one of his coworkers came to him and said, man, if we ever close this place up, you're going to be the one that turns the key. You're going to be the last guy out. And he was laid off three months later. So he told me, I've seen the safe option not work out. I've seen the impossible happen before my eyes. But the reality is you're just about to graduate. We're in the middle of a pandemic. If you start from nothing and lose it all, do the math. And that's the type of advice that you need from a father because nobody else is going to tell you that. If you start with nothing and lose it all, 
that that's the advice of somebody who really wants the best for somebody that they care about. That's not logical. That's not, well, let's do the pro con list and do the metrics and figure out how much money you're going to make in the, in year one, two, three, four, five. That's the, that's the words of somebody who, who really cares because he knew the same thing that my girlfriend knew at the time, which was, I would not be happy. Did I, had I not taken the risk? So it is an alignment with my feeling of being created for more of having a purpose for more than just being in a gym all day for 40 or 50 years and then retiring. It is in alignment with that. And I think that it's also in alignment with that faith of needing to do something that will contribute at a broader scale. So just like we talked about earlier, the guy that fell in the hole, I feel like I'm the friend who walks by. That's who I want to be at the biggest scale that I can possibly do it at. That's who I want to be. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's almost like, a battle of like alignment and fear. And it's like, you know what you should do, but it's the scary thing to do. And that goes with everything. Like we all know what we should be doing, should eat healthy, should go to the gym. Like we all know these things, but getting there and doing it, it's hard. It's uncomfortable. And that's where we need those support and those people in our lives that can really give us that like objective view. Cause we get in our own heads all the time. It's like, no, this is something that you would regret and you should do it. And you followed through on that. You had the right people around you. And ultimately you listened to what was inside. So uh, it's just, can I say something real quick right there? Cause like, that's so important. You know, you know what you need to do. You know, what's best for you. You know, where you're called to, you know, what you're called to you, you know, you're just afraid. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, I don't know. I have a lack of clarity. I don't know. It's you lying to yourself. You know, you're afraid and that's okay. But as long as you keep repeating that thought pattern of, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I need clarity. I need clarity. You don't need clarity. You already have it. You're afraid of what that means. Some of you are afraid of failure. Some of you are afraid of success. Some of you are afraid of the unknown. It's all natural. But if you know, the only thing that's holding you back is that fear. And you've got it. You've got to do something about that. Because like you said in that story, I knew the entire time. My girlfriend said it. My dad said it. I, you're not going to be happy if you're you're always going to regret this if you don't go out on a limb and try it. I knew that. I knew that from day one. I didn't want to accept it. And I think that I wanted to put these other, I wanted to put these other variables in the way because I didn't want it to be fear. I didn't want it to be all on me. I didn't want it to be my decision to confront the fear of the unknown is the only thing keeping me from my own greatness. I didn't want that to be true because that's scary and that places all the responsibility on me. So because I didn't want it to be true, I put in these variables of, well, I have a lack of clarity. Well, I don't know if this makes sense financially. Well, I don't know about this. It's all it's, These are all musings of our own mind to try and make us feel better about the fact that we are running away from who we really are. And and I think deep down, everybody knows it. It's just a matter of getting the people and the system and the belief and the faith around you to be able to step into it. You're already who you need to be. You were created as the person that you needed to be. You just have to step into it. Yeah. And I always say like awareness is the first step to changing anything and having that awareness of what you're fearful of. That's the first step. And then you can kind of break that down and 
how do I not get so afraid of this? What steps can I take to build my confidence and just develop that resilience to continue taking the step forward? Like we talked about earlier, it's just one step at a time. There's this quote that my friend Brandis Gadris says, and uh, well, it's actually, it's a poem that he wrote that I think you'll really resonate with. And it goes like this. I thought I was good until I saw great. It was then when I understood what achieving my dreams would take. And kind of, he gave me that in New York, actually, when I met him for the first time at this live event. And I was uh, about to meet Heather Monahan and uh, do like this behind the scenes studio with her. And he told me that. And I'm just like, wow, like, that's going to be me studying greatness. Like, I thought I was good. And now I'm going to see what great is. And so my question for you is, what have you absorbed by being behind the scenes with E.T. that you've implemented into your life and kind of like some of those things that you thought you were good, but then you saw great? <laughs> Man, I love that poem and I love that question. I have learned a lot about business. I've learned a lot about the art of speaking. I've learned a lot about building a brand. I've learned a lot about the industry. I've learned how to write a book, get it on the New York Times bestseller list. I've learned how to make all of these impacts and changes and, and money and all of it. I've learned a lot of that. And the biggest thing I've learned is that none of that matters. The biggest thing that I've learned by being around ET is the father and the husband and the man that he is, is unimpeachable. And that has led to the majority of his success. You can't be in that type of limelight for that long and maintain it without having incredible character. And, and he said something to me a long time ago that really resonated, which was do not allow your talent to take you somewhere that your character cannot keep you. And the biggest thing I've learned from being around him is how to be a better man. It's how to be closer to God. It's how to be a, a better boyfriend, a better son, a better friend. Um, those are the things that matter. Yeah. Those are really the things that matter. And he holds himself to such a high standard. And when, like, when you really, really dig into it, it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Like being a good person is harder than making a million dollars. Being a good person is harder than getting a million followers on Instagram. Those things, like there's formulas for that. I can teach you a formula to make a million dollars. I can teach you how the business works. I can teach you the automations to run. I can teach you how to do the ads. I can teach you how to run the event. I can, I can teach you how to do all of it. There's a system. But battling the demons that you have within you and really facing who you really are in comparison to who you're capable of becoming, that's hard. Yeah. And if you can do that, man, everything else is so easy. It's not like I don't even I'm not impressed by stuff anymore. That's what, that's, that's what I've learned from being around ET. I'm not impressed by money. I'm not impressed by car. And like, don't get me wrong. I've wanted to be rich since I was four years old. I always wanted to be successful. So like, I love cars. I'm a huge car guy. You pull up in a Lamborghini. I'm going to like, want to talk to you about it. I'm going to want to look at it. Like, it's cool. I love that stuff, but I'm not impressed by it because I understand how it works. It's, it's very systematic. It's very worldly. It makes sense to me. But then you look at somebody like ET who just, they're so holistically filled with goodness. And that sounds so corny and it sounds like I'm just a fan of his, but I've never met anybody who, who holds himself to that type of standard in every aspect of his life 
and lives it and teaches it, it's uh that like that's impressive to me. So it's really changed my viewpoint on what's important and what's not important and what's impressive versus what's impactful. Yeah, that, that's so good because I feel like all the times we're looking for this like this big strategy or this like one golden nugget, but at the end of the day, like that's what means the most, having integrity, having a strong character. And those are the things that are going to develop the relationships that turn into prosperous things or whatever you want to do. But if you don't have that character, no one's going to want to work with you and no one's going to want to even be your friend at that point. So um, that's actually something that I learned from stoicism and my mom. Like she's just an absolute angel. And growing up with my dad, like I always had this like really confinement or total chaos. And she just did everything that she did to try and put me on a right path and not follow in my dad's path with drinking and drugs. Like to this day, I've never had a sip of alcohol. Like I just, it's something I won't ever do because of my dad. And my mom definitely had an impact on that, but she just really like at the grocery store and stuff, like just say hi to people, be kind, say thank you. Like just all those little things that kind of made me who I am today and just be this, this kind person. And going back to like what you were saying with ET, like all of these really successful people that we admire, the closer you get to them, the more you realize they're just like us. They just have a right. really strong work ethic. Their standards are just impeccable and their character, like you said, but when you're not some of them, not, some of them, not all, unfortunately, <laughs> that, that's true, some man. of them, because that's, that's the thing, like people, people get it backwards and they think that, you know, the, the money and the success is the hard part. And so that is what makes somebody worth learning from. Listen, I've been really, really blessed and really, really privileged to meet some, some incredible people. Like I've, I've met people that I couldn't even say on, on an interview, like billionaires, um, all these incredible people in the industry, people with more money than you would know what to do with people with more success, with more fame than you would know what to do with. That's not, I'm telling you, that's not the impressive part. And, and people who haven't had those experiences, it, going back to what ET said, give people the takeaway without having them go through the experience. You, you, you haven't been exposed enough to know that that's not the impressive part because you open up Instagram, you see something that you want, whether it be the car, the jet, the hat, like whatever. And that's what you find attractive about that individual that you look up to and you start to model their behavior. That is not what should be impressing you. It's, it's just not because unfortunately there's a lot of people, like I said, making money is a formula. Success is a formula. There's a lot of people. I, I literally, somebody was telling me about this guy one time at, uh, it wasn't one of our events, but it was an event that he was speaking at. And this guy, very, very, very well-known speaker, uh, went up on stage, phenomenal presentation, got off the stage and immediately started flirting with the host's wife, which he knew was married and he was married too. And I was just like, like, like that happens so often you're, it would blow your mind. And I'm not saying that's like the, the end of the world and like the sin of all sins. I'm just saying the amount of people who you really want to be like versus the amount of people that you think you want to be like based on their material possessions are two very, very, very different numbers. And it would be wise to follow the teachings of people that you feel like you want to holistically be like 
rather than follow the teachings of people that you want the things that they have. That's a much, much better formula in my opinion. Yeah. And one thing, like, I just want to appreciate you for being the same guy that is on social media, <laughs> like that you just never know, but, um, you know, you're just awesome and you're thoughtful with your responses and like, this is turning out amazing. So just thank you so much for being you, <laughs> I guess I should say. <laughs> That's the only thing I know how to be. Yeah, let's keep it going too. I got we can do another 30. We'll make a two hour podcast. That'll be fun. Yeah, let's let's just Joe Rogan it. <laughs> yeah. So in a video, you said weakness is created by a lack of standards. And that may trigger some people, but it's definitely true. So that's why it's causing that trigger. I'm curious, what are some of your non-negotiable daily standards to stay mentally and physically fit? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say that, and just to give some context on that quote, that was an idea that took me a pretty long time to figure out too, because I thought that weakness was created by deficiencies or insufficiencies in either character, skill sets, traits, et cetera. And what I realized was that if you have standards and you hold yourself to those standards, you will inherently get stronger in those skill sets, traits, qualities through the process of maintaining the standards, through the difficulty that life will always bring you, right? So it's really not that you just have an insufficiency. It's that you aren't holding yourself to a high enough standard or you're willing to sacrifice the standard under a proper amount of stress. And that leads to the weakness, right? So that, that took me forever to figure out. But some of the standards that I have, uh, of course, every day means every day. That's like the, the tagline that I always use. And uh, that just means I work out every single day. And the, the way that that actually came about was I was doing some uh, gymnastics commentary for the Big Ten Network. And while I was there, somebody asked me, I know you're retired from the sport, but dude, how often do you work out? You still look like you're an athlete. I said, every day. And they were so confused. They said, like, every day? And I said, every day means every day. What does every day mean to you? Uh, weekends too? Yeah, every day, right? <laughs> So, you know, that's one thing for me is I work out every single day. It doesn't mean that it's a two hour, you know, pedal to the metal lift session every single day, but it means I'm doing something every single day, whether that's a gymnastics practice, whether that's lifting, whether that's cardio running, like I'm doing something every single day. Um, that's a big standard that I have because I really believe that success is exponential. I believe that each day compounds on the previous day, right? And I'm a big believer in upholding the commitments that you make to yourself. And for me, if I say that I want to work out every day, you know, rain, sleet or snow, work out every day. And that allows me to trust myself. And so when I go into new situations where maybe I don't have a whole lot of skill or expertise or practice, or I go into a situation that I'm nervous about or scared of, the fact that I know that I entrench, like regardless of the external skill set that I have to apply to the situation, speaking, coaching, consulting, business, like a uh, uh, conversationalist, like whatever the skill set is, I don't have to have as much faith in that because I have so much faith in who I am. I can just handle stuff. I've built somebody who is smart, fast, tough, disciplined. Um, I've built somebody who is who has faith, who does believe in himself. I've built that person by upholding my commitments every single day. So the everyday means everyday thing is, is huge for me, working out every single day. Um, spirituality, I've gotten a lot more in tune with. Again, just straight practical. It's been helping me. You know, it, it helps me be smarter. It gives me insights that I haven't been able to understand before that. 
Um, like the whole values thing that I broke down earlier that I, I didn't understand that until like six months ago, you know, and diving into that. So for me, it's reading the Bible every day, you know, diving into that is huge for me. Uh, it, it's, it's made a tangible difference in my life. So that's another big one that I do every single day. And those I think are really the two, you know, reading the Bible every day and working out every day. Those are two things that are just non-negotiable for me. Everything else ebbs and flows, but those are the two that they just got to get done. Those are the standards. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, cause I mean the everyday thing, like everyone's like every day. Um, what about those days where you're just like, you don't get sleep or you're just crazy sore. Like what's going on in your head to push you through it? Is it just like, this is who I am. This is my identity. Like I'm going to go do it. Or like, is there something different? Like what's going on? It's a really good question. I think that the identity thing is huge, right? Because you're, you're not usually willing to sacrifice. Think of it this way. Most people are willing to sacrifice other people other people's experiences, other people's feelings. Like if I can get something, even if it makes you feel bad, a lot of people will make that trade. It's unfortunate. It's not the way it should be. A lot of people will make that trade. Most people wouldn't do that to themselves. Most people will not sacrifice themselves. And so when something becomes a part of your identity, you become less willing to sacrifice whatever that thing is, because now you're sacrificing a piece of yourself. And so when you do something repeatedly enough, again, alignment in thought, word, and deed, when you think this is who I am, this is the standard that I hold myself to. When you speak, this is who I am. This is the standard I uphold to. And then you act in accordance with this is who I am. This is the standard that I hold myself to. Then that becomes an identity. It becomes who you are. I am, right? And you're very unlikely to sacrifice yourself. You're unlikely to sacrifice who you are because that that chips away at you at you in a very real sense. Like you're hurting yourself when you do that. So I think that having that be a part of your identity is critical. So for me, that every day means everyday thing. I am an athlete. I don't do athletics. I am an athlete, right? I, I am consistent. I don't believe in consistency. I am consistent. So the identity piece is huge for me. I think the other thing is just the presence of really, really good role models in my life. That same exact coach who told me, put one foot in front of the other, keep your head down until you get to a place where you can look up and you'll be in a better place. He also had stage four colon cancer and he came into the gym every single day with a bag hanging out of his abdomen and he had a megaphone because he couldn't yell anymore. So he had a megaphone that he would coach with. And you know, he, he wasn't shy about what he was going through, but at the same time, he never really let that affect what he was going to do, what he was going to do about it, the life that he wanted to live. He wanted to coach. He wanted to pour into people. He wanted to develop people just like me. He wasn't going to let the cancer stop him. He was coaching up until literally a couple of weeks before he passed from that same disease. So same thing with, uh, with my dad, you know, and thankfully he's still around, but he always told me when I was a kid, you can feel bad and sit around and do nothing about it, or you can feel bad and then go do something. You can feel bad and be productive. If you have the choice, if you're going to feel bad either way, why don't you feel bad and have something to show for it? Like just logically, it makes more sense, you know? And then I saw him live that. I saw him again, get diagnosed with cancer twice. Didn't miss a day of work that he didn't absolutely have to miss. I saw him get diagnosed with cancer and he was more worried about me and my mom than he was about himself. He, he lived what he talked. He was identity. I am alignment. 
And when you see that all around you and then you implement it, it, it's not even a choice. Like, and that's a really long explanation. But the reason I had to say it that way is because you asked, how do I think about it? I don't think about it. Right. It's just what you do. It's who I am. There's no thought involved. It's not, it's not a negotiation. <laughs> and, and people get to this point where they're like, oh, well, I want to negotiate with myself. Why? It just means you haven't done the work to integrate that into the I am and you're still in the I do. Two different things. Yeah. And that's something that honestly, like within the past six months, I've been really shifting my identity. It's like when people give me like praise or something, it's like, I've, I'm always saying I'm trying my best, but it's never I'm doing my best. And They'll always counter me. It's like, no, you're doing it though. And I just, I, I don't give myself that credit. So the more that I do the reps, the more that I enforce it, that I am doing this, this is who I am. This is just who I am. Like, this is me. And that just continues to reinforce that identity in your head. And then you start doing it. Like you said, like, you don't have to think about it. It's just, you do it. So I, I think like you just nailed it right there. And it's just that consistent that consistent effort that compounds over time. Like I read a book, Own Your Day, Own Your Life by Aubrey Marcus. And that completely shifted my entire perspective on life. And just showing that if you do stack your day each, like from the morning when you wake up, you optimize that, you eat the right foods, you exercise, like you just do all these little things, that's gonna create a great week. That's gonna create a great month, a great life. And, um, you know, another thing that you said with your coach and your dad, it's like those circumstances didn't define them. It's their decisions that did. And those decisions were inspirational. And that's something I had to learn with my illness. Like I always, I thought it was like a label on me, especially being young, like 20. I, I never wanted to talk about it because I always thought I would just be that Crohn's guy. And it's just this dirty disease that you don't want to talk about. So I always felt just really insecure about that. But when I realized that, okay, that my circumstance doesn't define me, who I am defines me, what I do defines me, the inspiration and the impact that I create, that's what defines me. And when you shift that perspective, it just makes all the difference. Mm, I love that because your mess is your message and your message is your miracle. Yeah. So your, your messy situation that you went through ended up becoming that platform where now you're inspiring others. Again, you're lending other people your strength, your story. And that, that process in a very, very fundamental sense, I believe is, is a miracle, right? Like you are affecting other people's spirits and you are potentially changing the trajectory of their lives based on the influence that you have from your message that came from your mess. So your mess is your message and your message is your miracle. That's there. There's something really, really profound about that, that I wish more people would be willing to accept because it brings a whole new level of meaning to life beyond the surface level stuff that most of us spend our time chasing. That if you would embrace that, you would end up in a roundabout way being even happier in the long run. And you would contribute something positive to the world. So I, I love that you pointed that out. I mean, it's it's uncomfortable. Like, that's the thing. Like, it's we're insecure. We don't want to put ourselves out there. But, you know, when I, I've really t taken myself out of it, it's not about Dan. It's not how people are going to judge me. It's about the impact that I create. It's, can I inspire that one person to create that that difference in their life, like you said? And 
that's just that little shift and taking myself out of the situation. It's made all the difference for me. And now I can talk about things that I never thought I would talk about just because I know it's not about me. It's just, I want to help other people and just continue to make this, this positive difference in the world. Yeah. It is um, that stoic philosophy that you keep coming back to, you know, it's not good or bad. It just is. Hermosi talks about this a lot. And I love the way that he speaks to this. He's like, I don't care. Like nobody cares. Like, oh, you're going to make fun of me because this, I don't care. You know how many people make fun of me on social media? Because there's a long time, man, I was, I was doing a lot more uh, like modeling stuff. And so I was posting these shirtless pictures and I was already a male gymnast. And like people in the comments were just having a field day, just going nuts and just poking fun at everything. And it's like, why would I care? Why would I care? Now that I'm actually trying to do something positive with the brand, for sure, why would I care? Right? Like on the surface level, I already didn't care. But now that we're really going somewhere with this, it, it, it doesn't make sense to put your your enjoyment and quality of life in the hands of somebody else. It right. doesn't, especially when, this is something I tell people a lot. When you have faith in where you're going, when you have confidence in what you're doing and why you're doing it and where you're trying to go, all of a sudden the noise just goes away. You don't care what somebody else has to say about it because you know that what you're doing is right. And at the end of the day, how how much are they really going to have an effect on your mission and your life? None. But we let them get in. Why? Why? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> I mean, that's something I learned in high school because I was always just trying to fit in with the crowd and I never dared to like step out and be who I was. I was always just quiet or just, you know, going along with whatever everyone else was talking about. And I learned that as I got sick and just things started to detach a little bit is that people will love or hate you no matter what you do. So you might as well love yourself first and live an authentic life that makes you happy because at the end of the day, there's going to be people that support that or you can go in a different route and there's going to be people that support that or don't like it so either way it's like you're damned if you do damned if you don't and you might as well pick a side that you want to follow and not someone that not be a follower in that sense so um yeah yeah it's it's been a big impact in my life just how i view society and just just staying authentic to me i think that's the biggest thing just just staying true to yourself. You know, another thing that I absorbed from you is that discipline becomes easy with systems and alignment. And that's something that we've kind of talked about throughout this conversation. And it's loving what you do and then having the clarity on what to do. And you mentioned some of those system or those standards that you've systemized. So what's your advice to find alignment to spark that inner fire inside someone? Mm. I think everybody needs to understand where their intersection of what they have to do, want to do, and um, love to do is, meaning, or sorry, what they have to do, what they have to do, what they want to do, and what they should do. I have a, a really fancy way of saying that that I can't remember at the moment, but you have to find that intersection of something that provides value to others, right? Because that means that it will give you further opportunities. Things that provide value to others are always fruitful, 
right? They'll either give you money, you can exchange uh, money for them, or they will lead to more opportunities. If it provides values to others, you'll always be okay. If you want to do it, then you are passionate about it intrinsically. For me, that was gymnastics. I loved to do it, whether it was useful or not. I just wanted to do it, right? And then your giftedness, right? What you probably should do, that is what comes easier to you than it does to anybody else. You're just gifted at it. It comes naturally to you. So for me, that was coaching. It pays the bills. It it adds value to others. Uh, I really enjoy it. I want to do it. I'm passionate about it. And it comes more naturally to me than it does other people. It's just, that's a natural skill set that I have. So then when I, I take those three things, I find the intersection of them. And then I overlay work ethic on discipline on top of that. Now you've kind of got the unbeatable formula, right? Because you've got this thing that already has so much potential. And then you add in effort over time that will turn into something that nobody else can possibly compete with because one, you've put the work in, but two, you're starting with something that you already have a competitive advantage with because it's something that is unique and intrinsic to you, your giftedness, your talents, your passions. So if you can just take that and overlay some discipline over time, uh, it's, it's really, really tough to compete with somebody that does that. Yeah, no, I love what you said because I follow this uh, concept called Ikigai, which is yeah, 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 doing what you love, what the world needs, what you can get paid for, and then uh, th- there's one more in there. But finding that intersection, that's like the main thing. But then you said add the effort and the discipline, and I kind of think like that's the fuel to the fire. Like finding mm-hmm. your Ikigai, that's the fire. But then adding that consistent effort over time, that's just the fuel. And like a car, like we always need fuel. If you just drive to empty, you can't keep going. So you have to just constantly do that and put in the work, rain or shine. Like my friend, Mike Diamond, he goes, successful people do the work no matter how they feel. And he has ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease. They're kind of interchangeable. And he's been a big role model for me and just showing that I can do more and it doesn't matter how I feel. And you're going to have to override that at some point. We're always going to have those problems. We're always going to experience pain, but the successful people, they do the work no matter how they feel. And anyone out there can apply that, but not everyone's going to, (laughs) but um, that's like a secret to success right there is just, just doing the work, putting your head down and, finding what you love that makes it so much better and more enjoyable, easier. You know, that's why it's kind of like the fuel to the fire. You want to find your fire first and then you can douse it, douse the flames in a sense with that. Um, I, I got two more questions here and then we can kind of wrap things up. This has been awesome, but uh, we'll kind of like land the plane with leadership. Tell me if this sounds familiar, your actions speak louder than your words And you are a leader, whether you want to be or not. It's kind of like setting the example with everything you do. So I'd love for you to elaborate on that a little bit more. Exemplification is the best form of articulation, meaning we can talk all day long, but until you start to lead by example, you're just moving air. You're not moving people. And there's a big difference in those two. So leadership is a hot topic right now. Everybody wants to be in leadership development. Everybody wants to talk about leadership. And it goes along with the boom in the self-development industry in general, right? The challenge is more people are talking than doing, and that creates a big gap. I think that 
fundamentally leadership is the ability to instill change in a positive determined direction right so there's a a determined specific goal i want to lead people that way right that's leadership and you cannot possibly do that effectively until you practice what you preach you can't do it until you exemplify it not just talk about it um and and everybody is constantly under the scrutiny of leadership, whether they want to be or not. What I mean by that is regardless of if you want to put yourself in a high position of leadership, meaning if you if you just want to be unknown and go about your life, you know, th there's nothing wrong with that at all. Not everybody needs to be or wants to be, rightfully so, some big influencer, right? More people think they want to be a big influencer now because of the social media age, even if they really don't. But not everybody wants to do that. You don't have to have a million followers to lead people though. And I think that sometimes people let themselves off the hook. I think that oftentimes people fear the responsibility of leadership. And so they justify why they are not leaders. The reality is you are leading whether you want to lead or not. Somebody's watching you. I don't care if it is your two-year-old kid that's watching you. If it is some random person in the grocery store that's watching, that's watching you. If it's somebody that you like. People are always watching other people. I've never gone somewhere in public where there's other people and and avoided seeing another another person. Like that think about this logically for 2 seconds. That's not how it works. You're always looking at other people. And so if you can set an example just by how you carry yourself, by how you articulate yourself, by how you deal with situations both positive and negative. If you can just set that example, somebody will see it. Even if you don't think anybody will see it, somebody's watching. Somebody's going to take that into account the next time they make a decision, consciously or unconsciously. They're looking to you to set an example. And when you start to really understand the butterfly effect that your decisions have and that somebody might see you handle a situation a certain way and they didn't even register it consciously, but then that changed the way that they handled a similar situation in their lives. And then somebody saw that and somebody saw that. And all of a sudden, if, if I said this in the last podcast I did, if you know a thousand people and that and every person in that network, they also know a thousand people. You're one degree of separation away from a million, which means you're one degree of separation away from a billion. So if you simply make a certain decision and one person sees it, and then that person influences another and another and another, it's exponential. It's not linear. Self-development self is the only investment that has exponential returns. Consistently, predictably, always has exponential returns. And the reason it does that is because human beings are inherently interconnected. And when we start to realize that, we start to have no other choice but to accept the responsibility of leadership because we understand that it is fundamental to, to the human experience. It's not a choice. It has nothing to do with your title at work. It has nothing to do with how many followers you have on social media. It has everything to do with the fact that you're human. That's so good, man. And I love that you mentioned the butterfly effect because I kind of think of it this way. If you tell someone what to do, they might forget by tomorrow, but if you inspire a feeling in them, they'll remember you for the rest of your life. And it's doing those things, doing the work and just walking the talk, I guess <laughs> that's a better way to say it. But just walk the talk and you just never know who's watching and whether that's at the grocery store, whether that's at the gym, like your work ethic at the gym can certainly impact other people, whether it's just one one set of workouts or it's your entire routine like 
you just have no idea. And I think the main message for that is leading by example is really the best way to help someone because at the end of the day, you can't help someone that doesn't want to help themselves. And the teachers are always going to be out there, but they're not revealed until the student is ready. So until you're ready, I mean, <laughs> that's just how it is. Um, so we'll land the plane with this one. One final question before we wrap things up. When you look back and connect the dots of your experiences, what's one of the biggest lessons that you learned that anyone listening can adopt and apply? One final takeaway for everyone. Figure out what you're afraid of and run as fast and as hard as you can directly towards it. So when I was 16, I remember having panic attacks at home because I didn't want to compete in gymnastics. I was so scared of doing the sport that I loved so much in front of anybody that I was almost willing to let this entire life that I have now slip away because I was afraid to take that step and bet on myself and try something new that I was terrified of that one decision. And when I say panic attacks, I don't mean like, like, I mean, real panic attacks, like no offense. I'm not talking about like, I have a, like, I'm scared of this. And like, I don't want to do it. I'm talking about sweating, shaking, borderline, having a seizure locked up. I can't move paralyzed for 30 minutes for an hour. Cause I'm so, so fearful. And that wasn't before the competition that was sitting at home, trying to decide if this was a decision that I even wanted to make. Wow. to go compete. And that one decision led me not only to being able to continue the sport that I love to progressing in the sport that I love so much more than I ever would have otherwise, but it also led me to Michigan. It also led me to have that experience, which grew me into the person I am today. It also led me to ET. That's another example. That's another one of those fork in the road moments. Speaking, I had panic attacks the same way when I was 22 years old as a fifth year senior at U of M about to graduate with an economics and psychology degree because I had to stand up in front of a class of 13 people and say, hi, my name's Brandon. I'm studying economics and psychology, literally palm sweating, shaking. I couldn't do it. I was terrified of it. And now I've spoken on stage in front of 1200 people in the audience alongside the world's best to ever do it. Amazing. And that was something that was terrifying to me. And had I not been willing to just try it, you know, the, the whole what doesn't kill you, make you stronger thing is really cliche and overplayed, but it's very true. Like what, what do you have to lose? Did I really think that going to compete in gymnastics was going to kill me, that it was going to end this experience? No. Did I think that trying to speak in front of people publicly was going to end my life? No. And people need to be willing to take those chances because the one thing that I've learned about life is that whatever it is that you want is probably on the other side of what you are most afraid of. Jordan Peterson had a great, great way of articulating this. Um, he said that there's this old story of the Knights of the Round Table, right? And they're looking for the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant is a symbol for what is most valuable. It's the most valuable treasure that we can conceptualize. So it's the most valuable thing that somebody could possibly want. And in the story of the round table, they are asked, the knights are, are tasked with going into the woods to look for the Ark of the Covenant. And 
the way that the story develops, they are asked to look in the woods in the point of the woods that appears the most dark to them. The most dark to them uniquely, individually, their own perception. What is the darkest place that you can go? And that is a symbol, again, for what is the most scary thing you can do? What are you most afraid of? What is the most terrifying place? And the way that Jordan put it was the thing that you the thing that you want most will be found where you least want to look. And I think that's such a big idea. It's such a big idea because I it, my experience anecdotally has proven this to be true. Because the things that I wanted and the development that I had and the life that I have wanted to live has only been found in those places that I was so afraid of, so hesitant of and that I thought were beyond my own capacity. I thought that if I walked into the woods in that spot right there, I don't know if I'm going to make it out. That's exactly where you go. That's exactly what you run towards. And you do it as fast and as hard as you possibly can. And that's how you change your life. That's There's so no other way to do it. So good. I'm not even going to follow that up because I want people to absorb that and really apply that into their lives. Like it, It's so good. But the one thing I will say is that fear is a green light to growth. So if you fear it, you should go do it. <laughs> if it scares you, you should probably do it. Man, this has been awesome. Before you take off, let us know how we can support you. Uh, you know, on Instagram, I'll tag you down there. I'll tag your uh, website link down there. But yeah, just let us know like what you got going on and what you're looking forward to so we can support. Definitely, man. I think uh, the big goal this year is to grow the social media, you know, just blow that thing up. Um, I, I'm at a place now where I, I feel like I've been, I've, I've been in, I've been in the woods <laughs> for a long time, you know, and I've been enjoying that process. And now it's time to go back to that hole that I fell in a long time ago, reach back and help as many people as I can. And I don't want to help one person. I don't want to help two people. I've done that. And it's, and that's infinitely fulfilling. And I think that's, what's so cool about this industry is that you help one person and that is infinitely fulfilling. Like I, I can die tomorrow and feel like I had a, a life very, very well lived. But at the same time, you have the opportunity to expand that beyond your wildest imagination. And so the big goal for 2023 and probably 2024 and 25 as well is growing uh, the brand, growing the social media and growing the exposure so that I can try and um, just be be a vessel, you know, to be a conduit to try and help as many people as I possibly can. So I try and keep it simple. Everything is IMB Burns. So all social media, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, everything. IMB Burns, uh, website, imbburns.com. Uh, so I try and make it easy for people to find. And and we're, man, we're hitting the ground running this year. We've been posting twice a day on Instagram, YouTube, Shorts, Facebook, Reel. I mean, everything you can think of, we're hitting it twice a day. So um, that's the goal. That's how how we how we grow and I'm excited. I'm excited, man. That That's what's the most exciting for me is having the same message on a bigger platform and refining it and getting better at articulating it, getting better at getting this in the hands of other people, getting better at helping affect people who need to make a change and want to make a change in their lives, getting better at leading them to the results that they want uh, and doing it on a massive scale. That's That's so, so exciting for me. So- and, I, and I, I'm thankful for you for being a part of it too. Yeah, I can't. Man. I can't do it without y'all, man. I can't. I can't bring <laughs> this stuff out of me without people like you. So you, uh, you're a key part of it, man. I appreciate you for doing this. Of course, man. Like experiences, mindset, growth. Like you embody all of this. So that's why I wanted to have you on this podcast. And you know, your message is 
is really impactful. So I just want as many people out there to hear it and start applying some of the, the lessons and the tools that you incorporate into their lives because it can make such a big difference. And, you know, if anyone out there is looking for a guest speaker, look no further. <laughs> this is your guy. He will definitely deliver. And uh, just wanted to throw that out there for you. Thank you. But yeah, man, Brandon, thank you so much for taking time to be here with me today and to drop some absolute fire. I feel like I'm ready to run through a brick wall right now. Just I'm pumped up, got me feeling good. And, uh, you know, you are a world class leader and beacon of hope to show that anything is possible with hard work and dedication. I'm grateful we crossed paths and look forward to continuing to grow our friendship. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Yeah, we did it, man. Two hours. I love it. Awesome. That was good. Yeah, I love it. You said uh, Joe Rogan style. I'm like, let's <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> I mean, might as well like, go an hour and a half. Man. Yeah, right. Like, why not go the extra the extra 30? Yeah, that's, uh, no, that was really, really good. You're, you're a very good interviewer, by the way. You ask a lot of really, really good questions. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of EMG Transformations. You never know how one valuable insight can make such a big impact. Please leave a five-star review if this episode had a positive impact on you. And don't be shy to screenshot and share episodes on social that you found helpful so we can spread the message and make the world a better place. You never know who may need to hear and the impact it has on them too. We're only scratching the surface. There's so much more to learn. Subscribe and stick around to manage stress, improve your health, and create lasting lifestyle changes. We'll see you next time on EMG Transformations.